Hey everyone and welcome back to the Citywide Blackout Interviews. This is in preparation for the upcoming Rhode Island Author Expo happening December 3rd in the ballroom of the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island. We were there last year. We're going back. It's going to be an amazing time. We've got panelists. We've got live readings. We've got stuff to buy. So much stuff to buy. This is all happening from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's a free event, but the books, they're not free. And you're going to want to buy these books, especially the books by my next guest, author Sharon Haddad Vicente. She has her debut novel, which was released last year, and a new one coming out very, very soon. Sharon, welcome to the show. It is so cool to be talking to you. Thank you, Max. Welcome. All right. So let's talk about your first book, Love Me. This was released uh, last year, and this is all about a serial killer in a small town. Uh, The police are basically overwhelmed, not too sure what to do here. And then along comes Paige Vale, who has some evidence about the crime and takes the whole thing down a very, very dark path. Um, Exactly. I love this concept, actually. I love the whole serial killer small town thing. But I want to talk first about Paige. Who is she and what does she sort of bring to the story? Um, Paige is the main character. She's the main protagonist. And being a high schooler, you know, she has very limited um, ability to do much of anything in terms of solving cases, or so she thinks. Um, she lives in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and there are a lot of landmarks um, where body parts and dead bodies are found, um, real local landmarks. Um, people go by now and, and tell me often, I can't go by there anymore without thinking of the book. <laughs> Um, but she, you know, the, the police and the FBI think they have the case solved and she walks into the police station and sees the crime board and says, Oh, wait a minute. I think something else is going on. So she takes them on another um, path where they would not have gone if she didn't put two and two together. So, um, so that's, kind of what page and and she's going through a lot um you know with with friends and a very close friend who wants to take their relationship a little bit further than she does um and he just can't in his mind fathom the thought of you know of page not on the on the same level as as he is Oh, teenagers. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) Now, does Paige have any kind of like a background with like criminal law or police work? Um, Not in Love Me. Yeah, you know, she's a a high school student. But when she does see the board, it ties, uh, the cover of the book is a, um, like a school journal, elementary school journal. um, And, you know, being a young woman, a young girl, and she uses the journal for a certain purpose. Uh, one of them, she has several, but one of them, um, her love me, her love journal, actually, um, it's dedicated to some very specific things, which this one particular friend, James, searches through and becomes, he just shatters, just becomes shattered. And, um, you know, things ensue. <laughs> as they usually do. As they usually do. Now, um, 
this story where you have like the high school the high schooler as the main character does this become kind of like a junior detective sort of thing where she's like leading the police on the chase or what exactly no no not at all um again she she is in the police station and she sees um a crime board and she knows that um some of the killings are personal revolving around her. Um, so she, you know, tells them why she thinks so. Um, and the evidence is quite clear. So they, um, they listen to her and, you know, in that aspect, she, she helps solve one of the, uh, one of the cases that happens. Oh, okay. So, 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 so she's sort of like connected in a way to right. kind of what's going on. All right. Yeah. All right. I want to ask about the love interest because I get the feeling this is more than just kind of like a side story here. Um, th- and this is uh, the James person you mentioned. James. Yes. Poor James. James. Poor James. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. They met when he was going through a really rough patch. His parents were getting divorced. Um, and, you know, she took him under her wing and, uh, you know, he was like the loner character, didn't have many friends and, you know, she became larger than life to him. Um, and in, in high school, you know, she branched off. She had many different friends when he really didn't. And she ended up having a new love interest. Um, and things happen and he, you know, he, um, he went down a dark path. Mm, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler question. You cannot answer it if you don't want to, okay. but I'm curious, does James kind of tie back into the serial killings as we kind of go along? He may. <laughs> ah, good answer. Good answer. I like that. That's not all that is going on. I'll just say that. Okay. That's not all that's going on. Why make Paige a high schooler? The premise behind the book revolved around a conversation that I had with my daughter. And I wanted to keep that going. Um, It was just one idea that I had. And I mentioned it to her one day and she said to go with it. That's how the whole book started. So she was always in the back of my mind. And I took it back to when she was in high school, all the things that they liked to do, you know, the gel pens and the journals and, um, you know, all that kind of thing. So when I realized what I wanted to do with the journals and, and, and it just made sense for her to be, um, to be a high school student from that time. Yeah. That, that, so, <laughs> so your daughter basically inspired the book. She kind of like kicked it off for you. She sure did. Yeah, she oh. sure did. Does she get written into the book in any way? No, no. She, you know, Paige has some physical aspects of my daughter with the dark hair and the freckles and um, things like that. But, um, but no, no, it was just, it was just a little homage to her, you know, being, you know, being my muse. Yeah. <laughs> And the cover for this thing, this is dark. This yeah. <laughs> is dark. How'd you go about creating uh, this one? Um, that was actually, the cover artwork was all my daughter. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. She designed it. Yep. So it was a real um, collaboration with this one. 
with Love Me. It was really special. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. You know, I had dabbled and I started writing some things. I had some story arcs here and there, and I just kind of put it aside. I worked two jobs. Um, so, you know, it was, it was just always like in the back of my mind, but nothing really um, urgent that I wanted to hurry up and get done. And then when the pandemic hit, I said, well, geez, I have no excuse now not to finish it. Um, and, you know, when I wasn't working, uh, I picked it up and I said, oh, yeah, oh, this would be cool if I took it in this direction. And then it just went like wildfire. Nice, nice. I, I'm actually curious if your daughter does like uh, like graphic design or if she's done like other kinds of book covers, because just the way that she captures the feel of it is so intense. She hasn't done any other book covers. Um, and she, when I told her I was working on uh, making this a series, she said, well, you'll need to find someone else to do uh, the second book cover. <laughs> oh, no, she should do that. This, this, this is really good for, for uh, the first time. Really good. She is um, very gifted artistically. Very, very Clearly. gifted. Yeah, she, she definitely captures the darkness of, of the story. Yeah, she um, she's taking classes at RISD. Um, she designs jewelry and um, different things. So she's yeah, she's she can draw. She can she can do it all. Excellent. Maybe I'll get her for the for book three. I don't know. Maybe she'll circle back around. There you go. There you go. What made you want to write in the first place? Because um, as we mentioned earlier, this is your first book. Mm -hmm. I have always been an avid reader. Love it, um, but. The only genre I like is weird, twisted, you know, uh, deep, dark stuff. So I never thought I could do it. Um, and, you know, you you get into something and you, you think, oh, all right, well, I bet you it's going in this direction or that direction. And then you go, wait a minute, what? Oh, why did they do that? Um, and then again, it comes back to the conversation that I had with my daughter um, and she was like, Hey, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If you think you can do it, do it. So I gave it a shot. And once I started, um, I really, really liked it. And people seem to really love the characters. Um, I, I love getting into the psychological aspects of the protagonist and the, especially the antagonist. Um, like the whys and, you know, if you can understand um, the reason behind it, sometimes you can even sympathize a little, you know, um, and then you start to feel like, oh, geez, <laughs> this, this guy is terrible or, you know, um, and I'm feeling sorry for him, you know, so um, I don't know. I just felt, figured I would give it a shot. Like I said, I had nothing to lose. I had Put it some, put it off, and I would get to it every once in a while um, until I really got into it, and then I was like, "Oh, I was bitten." <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned sympathy for the killer. Is this killer a sympathetic character? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, you can't be a killer, right, and be extremely sympathetic, but um, but yes. And, and I don't want you to think that that was the only thing going on in the story. I'm not giving, I, I mean, I am giving uh, some, uh, some away, but not everything. So, um, 
you know, there's, this is, this is a more of a mystery whodunit kind of um, thing. And you, you, you tend to know where it's going, but then you don't. So. Okay. I see that. I see that. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm curious about the world building. I mean, this, I mean, this takes place in New England in a small town, but did you have to spend a lot, a lot of time sort of crafting the community and the people before you began writing? I'm the type of person, again, weird, deep, and dark. I can drive by somewhere and, you know, people I'm with will say, oh, wow, look at this beautiful field. And I'm like, wow, you know how many bodies could be dumped in there? Um, That's just, you know, so I actually used a lot of local landmarks um, and I knew I wanted to do that. Uh, I didn't even know if I could. So I had, you know, I had to look into how to do that without losing my house (laughs) um you know but landmarks are fine so i i you know and and there are other thing elements in the book um like there's a local casino i don't name it um but it's in lincoln rhode island (laughs) um you know so those there there are ways to get across what you're trying to do without actually doing it and there's a a local um eye doctor in this just a very brief um you know scene but i've had a few people say to me hey is that so and so's doctor off doctor's office and say yes it is <laughs> um but yeah but the locations are real and this is not a true crime it is a fiction story <laughs> i get a lot of that when i'm when i'm at places selling the book and they're like oh bummer <laughs> but she's like i'm not accusing the eye doctor of murder he's a nice guy yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> yeah but do you ever get people who were able to kind of guess the ending like people who uh, who were like oh yeah i was able to kind of figure it out as we uh went along um i get a lot of people that say i thought it was this and then i didn't and then i thought it was that again and then i really wasn't sure until the end so that's what what my in, intent was so that was that made me pretty happy <laughs> ah, okay how about the characters, you know, Paige, uh, James, the serial killer, did they end up the way that they, that they uh, started out when you were sort of creating them? Oh, no. They, they took me on their own journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought I had, you know, I thought I had everything down um, the way I wanted. And as I was writing, um, I was, things would just come to me and, and I would be like, okay all right, I'll listen to you guys and I'll do this and I'll do that instead. And um, especially the ending. um, I think that was the fourth ending that ended up sticking. So yeah. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't like the the first few. (laughs) Oh, is this your um, editors? No, no. I'm sorry. The characters. Oh, really? Oh, so, (laughs) so so like the first three endings just didn't kind of like mesh up with with the characters. Yeah, it, you know, um, and, and a couple of the editors did say, oh, I, I think maybe you might want to try a different direction and, you know, whatever. So, but the, the final one was, that was just, that was it. Ooh, <laughs> you know, you could have released the the uh, the alternate endings too. You could do like this yeah, new version yeah. of Love Me with alternate endings this yeah. time. 
So yeah, that's an idea. Maybe for uh, maybe for the box set when they were when the whole series is done. All right, now let's talk about that <laughs> uh, because you have the second book coming out very soon, which is Obey yeah. Me, and yeah. whoa, that's a creepy title. I like that. Was it always your plan to do a series? No, 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 not at all. Um, I you know once I I really got into it, I did decide I you know I I would love to write more. But as far as it being um, a series, no. But again, people want more page. <laughs> um, I had a lot of like good re- good uh, reviews um, saying that they want more of the characters that survived. <laughs> um, so I said, oh, you know, and, and my mother, I have to give a nod to my mom. She is a Hallmark Channel uh, romance novel. That's all she likes. And she read every word of Love Me. I kept telling her she could skip over the gruesome parts, but she said, no, I want to read every word. Um, And she said, you have to keep this going. You have to keep this going. I want to know what happens to Paige. So I said, all right, well, the stories that I had in mind um, I thought, okay, well, how can I make it work and incorporate Paige? And I did it. <laughs> I did it. So this, um, oh, baby jumps ahead 12 years. So she's graduated high school and she is now an FBI agent. Ooh, so I like that. Yeah. I like that. At the at the end of Love Me, um, one of the higher ups in the FBI said, you know, she had a natural talent and she shouldn't let it go to waste. And one of the um, one of the Cumberland police officers, Arabella Luther, um, also felt the same way. And he recruits her into the FBI, and then she recruits Paige. So ah, I like this. Yeah. I also think it's kind of funny how a Lover of romance novels and the Hallmark Channel really enjoyed this book because <laughs> those are very different yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She was, she just, she read it in one day in seven hours. Wow. Yeah. Good job, mom. All yeah. Right. She's too funny. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, in reading about your bio, I saw that you have a degree in psychology. And of course, this book being a psychological thriller, how did that training kind of help you with the writing process? Um, it, it really did help, um, knowing the background, like I'm a big researcher and I'm writing love me. I didn't really need to do as much research. I live in Cumberland. So, and it, you know, primarily revolved around this town. I know the weather, I know, you know, all of, like I said, the landmarks and, 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 and that, but, you know, delving into the psychological aspect i had to get some of my my books and brush the dust off and you know um say will this really you know work if i if i incorporate this or that uh but yes i i'm very um avid about having everything be you know it's a work of fiction but i want everything that is in there to be as as real as possible um, the second book takes place in North Carolina. Um, so, you know, I did a lot of research for that. And I did a lot of research on the FBI and 
different um, other things. So, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> How did you get into the mind of the killer? Um, I, like I said, when I'm watching anything, my son is always like laughing and he, you know, of course it's about murder. Of course it's about serial killers. Of course it, you know, I watch all of the Netflix shows that, you know, do documentaries on, on all that kind of thing. Um, and you know, a lot of them you can look at and say, okay, all right, well, this makes sense. This happened to this person. And while, okay, the same thing could happen to another person and they would take a different route. Why would this one, you know, go off the rails, so to speak, and, and, and just fracture and, and do these horrible things. So um, I do like getting into the mind of, of only for a little while. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I, I just find it fascinating. I just find human nature fascinating. I, I like to people watch and, you know, I come up with a whole scenario about where they're going, who they are, what kind of job they have, and if they could be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way your mind works. This, this is amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I want to ask a bit about the editing process. You know, um, I know your books have gone through like multiple editors. Um, yes. did a lot get left on the cutting room floor? Um, not so much with love me. And, you know, I'm sure if I went back in, in a couple of years, I would think, yeah, it probably should have. Um, but that was my baby. And, you know, it, it just, I think it, I think it came out. Okay. Um, this one with obey me. Yes. I have a whole file of things that I cut. I haven't gotten rid of them. They're in a, a, a separate file, but um, yeah, a lot more got cut this time. Um, and I and I think you know, as you do anything, you get better. And um, I don't know if it's just getting better or learning that sometimes less is more, even though it's your words and your thoughts. Um, but you know, I think that's just the natural progression. Definitely is. All right. So we got the expo coming up. Is this your first time at the expo? No, I did go last December. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Love me in July and I made it to the expo, but I was very late in, in finding out about, um, about the association and the expo. So um, I was out in the hallway in the perimeter, <laughs> ah. but hey, I was there and, you know, I did, I did get some traffic. <laughs> there you go. Um, how are you making the elevator pitch? <sighs> that is always difficult. That, that I'm not so good with. Um, you know, once your inner circle, your friends and family have bought all your books and, then what, you know? Um, so I'm trying to get better. Um, and I've got a lot of, uh, young people in my life that will help me with social media in my website and, and things like that. So, um, but I, I do need to, I do need to get a little bit better. Definitely. All right. Now we talked a bit about Obey Me. Of course, you mentioned that Paige will now be an FBI agent, but what else lies in store in this book? So, um, like I said, this takes place 12 years um, after we end Love Me, um, and it's in North Carolina. 
she's brought in on this particular case because of the training that she's had during this 12 year span. Um, and it, there is a cold case podcast actually <laughs> that discusses a 38 year old unsolved case. Um, and I, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I thought, wow, I wonder what would happen if the killer, you know, was actually listening to one of these things. What, what would they do? Um, so I delve into that a little bit in this, uh, and, you know, a new, new case forms from this 38 year old case. And, um, as I said, she's brought in, uh, we will see Arabella again in this one. And, um, yeah, she, she's very, very good at what she does. Mm, excellent. Well, I definitely look forward to checking out this and, and of course, getting the second book. And in the meantime, folks, you go to SharonHaddadVicente.com. Link will be in the podcast description. And hopefully I will, I will see all of you on December 3rd at the Rhode Island Author Expo. And Sharon, great talking to you and looking forward to the next conversation. Thank you very much. Welcome back to our final interview as part of our preview for the upcoming Rhode Island Author Expo. Now, at the time of this recording, the expo is just, is just a one day away. So if you happen to catch us after the third, so sorry. But hopefully you're listening to it right now. Prior to the event, it is happening from 10 to 5 on Saturday, December 3rd at the Crown Plaza in Warwick, Rhode Island. Get down there. It's a free event. Raffles, and of course, many, many books are sale, including the work by my next guest, author um, uh, Christine Carr. She's created a pretty amazing story and a really wonderful message. So, Christine, first off, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much, Max. I'm happy to be here. All right. So let us dive into into your creation, which is uh, Corwin and Friends. And this is uh, not just a, like a book you did, but it's, all, it's also this whole character and world. So where did the whole thing come from? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, for reflecting on that. Uh, basically, um, you know, I've been a PE teacher in East Greenwich since 1993. So this has been my 29th year teaching. And uh, the students that I've taught are between the ages of five and nine years old. So firsthand experience of the importance of learning to cope, dealing with challenges, being a good friend, being brave, having courage, all of those things come out in the daily lessons of life as we do the fitness exercise sports skills. So I was encouraged about three years ago, this time um, my birthday is December 31st. So three years ago, uh, my oldest sister had bought me a present for my birthday, encouraging me to tap into my artistic talent. She always knew that I was an athlete and always was involved in coaching and teaching of that, but she always had a little bit of a uh, faith in my ability to doodle. So um, on a whim, I sort of went with it. She bought me a box of craft cards and some really cool markers, and I always sort of doodled the same similar looking characters, but I did think for a moment, huh, you know, let's think if there were a character that would be good for boys and girls and, you know, kind of an easy 
easygoing vibe. And I kind of came up with a long haired um, rabbit at that time. No name. I mean, none of my characters were ever named. It was always just little doodles on the side of my notebooks and things. Um, And sure enough, I ended up starting posting some of the messages, um, positive messaging. You know, you've got this. I'm here for you. Uh, I started putting those up daily on Facebook and then got a little reaction back. At first, I think people just thought I was posting up clip art. And then after a couple of days of doing it, um, some friends closer to me were making comments saying, oh, I love your drawings. Oh, it's so fun to see this. And then other people started commenting saying, wait a minute, you're drawing this. And, you know, just like a child, I felt, oh gosh, you know, this is so silly. It's so stupid. I shouldn't do this. And before you know it, over, you know, a week or two, a little bit of a momentum grew and I was getting comments, private messages saying, hey, you know, this is the bright spot of my day. Facebook is so filled with negativity. I'm really looking forward to these daily messages. So I continued. I called it the Daily Doodle. And uh, from there, it sort of began. I had some of the images printed into cards. And uh, within about a month and a half later, a pandemic hit in February, March. And uh, it sort of mushroomed from there. The cards then became the idea of let's do t-shirts. From there, it became let's do a coloring book to help children with social emotional learning um, issues going at home. And, uh, you know, as it just sort of spiraled through, eventually it became the idea of let's put a children's book out there and uh, sort of give some of the tools to help young children to deal with some of the, the challenges they might fix. Or, or, or deal with on a, on a regular basis in their own life. So when you started doing this, did you ever intend initially to go as far as it's gone? No, I really, I had no idea. And thankfully I have some very encouraging, loving friends. Um, I do look back in my life and I find it very interesting. I try to share this message. I have three children of my own and I certainly have had thousands of students at Frenchtown School. Um, I try to share that idea that you know, often it's through the encouragement of friends and family, um, somebody that believes in you, how important it is to have someone say, you know, I think you can do this. That's empowering. And it's also powerful when we hear those words. So when this started, like I said, I first put the the image of um, my very first courtroom picture up, you know, I felt super silly. felt like a nine-year-old child thinking, oh gosh, this is really what am I doing? And, uh, you know, the same thing when I announced the name, I chose Corwin because the name meaning is heart's friend. And at the time I was thinking how important it was to just be thought of. I think that was my favorite part of doing the greeting cards. We all get a birthday card, a thank you card for doing something, but to just receive a card out of the clear blue sky, simply because you were thought of is powerful. And that sort of energy has a bounce back effect that can change the mood of every person you encounter for the rest of that day. That heart power of someone feeling um, touched by something you've done or having had a better day because you're just happily in their life. Um, Taking the time to share that um, is meaningful. So I think to see all of that kind of come into play um, from just the nudges of some friends at the beginning and the encouraging words from those friends. And, you know, one of them helped with a website. The other one helped find the printer, um, ideas of trying to market. So I can't do anything alone. And and this certainly is an example of that. 
So it's been a really neat experience. I've met so many beautiful people. The cards were in a bunch of Rhode Island shops. So the shop owners that took me in, um, as well as the website, different people that I've met at some different event events, even with the book coming out, um, you know, it really has just put me on a path that, uh, you know, I never imagined going on. So it's, it's definitely a space of gratitude for the whole experience that I, that I share. Oh, certainly, certainly. Now, where did corn come from, though? Like, where did the concept originate? So I think one of the, the most important things, like I said, um, you know, the idea of sort of having this idea of us needing our own self. I think often in life, you know, we kind of give so much energy out and we don't always give the same energy back and really trying to get that concept of you matter and that life certainly is going to be challenging, but you have to keep climbing. You do have it. You can't give up, you know, take a moment to breathe, get outside, get some fresh air, move and remind yourself that everything you need is right inside. So I sort of embodied that, you know, some of my friends will laugh and they're like, you're Corwin, Chris. And I don't totally believe that because I need him more than anyone. I need the messaging now, just like I did as a kid. I'm 50 years old. And I think it's just um, a reminder that I give to my own kids that are 17, 19, 22 years old, that at any stage of life, you know, there's always going to be a challenge. There's always going to be a moment where we get a little nervous. And the reality of that is to try to remind yourself, I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm loved, and I'm going to get through this. And I think for me, with all of my little doodles that I did as a kid, all the way through college and right up until, you know, current day, I wanted to have some sort of embodied little character that people could relate to. And it was really interesting how quickly they did relate to this little character. Um, you know, I had a friend reach out a couple of years ago that was going through a personal struggle. And they mentioned that, you know, that little character was the bright spot of their day. And even though their, their life was in a glitchy moment, they found and resonated with so many of the messages that I would share. You know, some of them, like I said, are, are more just empowering of the keep climbing. I'm here for you. You've got this life is hard. Um, but I think the true meaning really was just trying to make that connection um, to ourselves. You know, I always compare life to athletics as if you're part of a team. And I think of that as a human, you know, to my own self, it's like, I got a lot of team members, some things I'm really good at, some things not so great. And some days we're going to handle things really well. And some days we're definitely going to be unskillful. And when we're unskillful, it's a reminder, we just need more practice. We're not getting kicked off the team. We've got to give our own self a pat on the back and encourage ourselves to sort of um, dig deep. So, you know, the messaging is for children. You know, my little book, um, the We Can Do It book is, is certainly a children's book, but the themes are you know, the same for adults. What's your hula hoop? In the book, they're trying to learn how to hula hoop in a PE class. So in life, what's your hula hoop? What's hard? And and we can all say that we're patient. We can say that we're kind and, oh yeah, we have the skills to handle. But the truth arrives when things don't go our way. The real us reveals itself when something really scares us. And then those are the moments where we do have to tap into our skills and we learn about ourselves and we learn that, hey, you know what? I'm not that great at everything and I need a lot of practice. And even though I may have made some mistakes, 
it's going to be okay. And I try to, I try to share that with students. I've had thousands of students. I've been there for 29 years. Every year I have about 300 kids. And, uh, you know, I always make it very clear. I've never had a bad student. However, and I'll say, but, 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 buddy, but, but I've had a ton of people that have made choices that haven't helped them. It doesn't make you a bad person. It's a choice. It's a behavior choice. And once kids realize that, I think it's refreshing for them to recognize like, hey, I can make a better choice. doesn't make me a bad person if I just flipped out or lost my cool or wanted to quit. But now I got to practice and I've got to be brave and I have to take the lead and, and admit that I don't know how to do this and I need help. And adults need that just as much as kids. All right. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, artistic work. So uh, you mentioned you've been doodling ever since you were a kid, but is this uh, your first time really applying this in a professional manner? So I wrote a book, Mother Days. It came out in 2010. And within the pages of that book, I included my little caricatures, not Corwin. They were people characters, not animals. Um, so I think what ended up happening, you know, in, in, in recent years, as time has gone on, I'd always just draw little pictures in a card when I'd send a friend a card or a holiday card. I would draw little messages to my mom. She always got a kick out of it because I'd exaggerate some of her characteristics. She always likes to wear a big hat. And a long coat and boots. So um, I just would always sort of um, dabble with that. I was never professionally trained. And certainly when I did the cards, um, I did everything in pencil. I went through with a very fine tip marker. So nothing was digitally done. I then had them scanned at the print shop. And then obviously they recreated them, you know, by reprinting them. And when we did the book, um, I gave all of my um, hand drawings to uh, a girl that then used Canva and was able to scan in through that software, also the words and the, the manuscript. So that went up through that Kindle direct publishing, publishing to Amazon. Um, so yeah, it's never been professionally done. Um, you know, I know when I did the Mother Days book and was going to do the drawings um, in each chapter, I went up to uh, a store up near RISD in Providence and, you know, talked to someone there and tried to get the, the behind the scenes on best types of pencils, erasers, what are some cool markers. And uh, yeah, just, you know, again, sort of a, uh, you know, a thing that I never imagined myself doing. But the same thing would be said for I never imagined myself writing a book. I think what ends up happening as I look back at my own life is uh, you, you sort of want to serve and share what you know how to do. What I know how to do, I want to share and I want to help. So I think with writing the Mother Days book, it really was that offering of, you know, be proud of who you are to that parent who was feeling overwhelmed and recognize that kids have to be kids. They have to learn. We can't do it all for them. You know, at that time when I was much younger, my youngest daughter, who's 17 now, she was like 17 or 18 months old when I first put pen to paper to write that manuscript. And it really was just to offer a high five. It wasn't a complaint. It wasn't a rant. It wasn't a mail bash. It was just a celebration of look what you get done. And at the end of the day, kids have to be kids. They, they have to live life. They have to goof up. We, we can be that safety net, but they're going to fall to figure out how to get back up. And they're going to go through some of those real difficult challenges. And they're going to prove to themselves what they have inside. 
And I would say in the last 20, 25 years, parenting has really taken a twist. It's, it's more of an attitude that says, maybe I'm going to do better you know, than my parents. People would laugh at our parents and say, hey, we were basically raised by wolves. And you know, they were inside doing shots of vodka while we were out playing in the street. Um, but there's something to be said about that. You know, there was some dysfunction sprinkled in. We had to deal with the backyard bully. We had to deal with the issues. And in those moments, we learned responsibility. Most of the issues dissolved within minutes. Now I see parents, they get so wrapped up in children's stories that it becomes huge, huge, huge stories with um, real serious consequences um, that don't always necessarily need to be taken to that limit. And I think the learning of, you know, just living, living amongst humans, you know, on the recess, on playground, dealing with, um, you know, difficult situations and, and, and honing those skills important. Hmm. So I, I just, I, you know, I find it pretty uh, neat to be able to share um, my perspective because it really is a bird's eye look. Uh, the school psychologist at Frenchtown will always laugh. He's like, you're kind of like the psychologist because it's active play. You're seeing kids this week, all during PE this week, we did the parachute and those all parachute cooperative games. In a second, you see who's not listening, who's not following direction. How does that affect the group? We need to get together. We got to do the, the job or else it won't work. So it's great information and kids get it. They really get the messaging. They buy into it because they see it. It's not like they're just reading a story or watching a movie. They can say, oh, yes, I play fair. Yes, I'm patient. Yes, I'm kind. But in the moment, you see that different side. And then I can be there to kind of help them to almost like shine a little mirror on them to be, hey, bud, like that didn't really work. Oh, that that hurt their feelings. Like, let's rethink that. And, and, and they do get it. So it's kind of cool. Nice. All right. So uh, tomorrow, of course, is the big day, the big expo. Is this your first time attending? First time, yeah, I've never been. First time, wow. (laughs) Yeah. What are you looking forward to most about the experience? I think it'll be neat to see some of the other authors, see the flow of how things are set up. Having, I haven't even attended one, so not only being there, it'll be interesting to just see how it works. The flow of people coming in. I know there are going to be some different speakers and some opportunities to kind of walk around and see what's up. So, you know, just looking forward to that vibe. you know, the, the interesting thing, I think I'm sure the same, you would say the same as you meet people that have some of these different backgrounds and experiences. Um, when it comes right down to it, we're all just humans. And I think looking to connect and looking to share and what better way when you come upon people that you know, are excited to just put their work out there and, uh, you know, get some feedback and see, see uh, you know, what other people are doing and, and sharing, you know, from their craft. Exactly. All right. What would you say is your like elevator pitch for Corwin and Friends? <laughs> Good question. I think probably if I had an elevator pitch in just a couple of moments, the, the biggest thing is 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 finding that space inside, um, recognizing, you know, here's a situation. We're in a PE class. 
the PE teacher is trying to teach a hula hoop lesson. Starts off instantly. You've got a boy that says, I quit. I can't do it. Another kid, me neither. Another girl saying, I've been doing it my whole life. Meanwhile, she's five years old. And in comes a custodian, later the art teacher, and then the principal. And all of these adults, including the PE teacher, as well as some friends in the class, are trying to help this kid who is struggling because they're essentially afraid to try, maybe embarrassed, frustrated. And each one of them comes with this idea of laughter at oneself is healing. It's okay to laugh and say, oh, this is hard. And at the same time, how can we approach this positively, recognizing it's going to take practice. You've never done it before. Put your best foot forward and recognize it's going to take patience, hard work, determination. But if we can use the right tools, the tools that we work on every day, um, we can get through anything. So I think the fun part of this little story is just enabling that idea again of you matter. Life will be challenging. What's your hula hoop, as I said before, but being okay with yourself, having having the understanding that you got everything you need inside. You just have to believe. You got to believe in yourself. You have to accept the challenges. You have to recognize that you're not always going to win. Things aren't always going to work out. Then what? You can't just quit as soon as something gets hard. You'll never learn anything. And it's okay to laugh at yourself, look to others for help, give it a try, take the tips. So often, you know, I look at my students at school and I try to very consistently, I would say, encourage them to be coachable, be teachable, you know, take that idea, take the concept, whatever it is. And, and know that you got to practice it. If you want to get good at something, it's going to take practice. Hours and hours and hours and years and years and years, a lifetime of practice. Exactly. All right. Well, Christine, certainly looking forward to meeting you and all the many, many wonderful authors at this year's Rhode Island Author Expo, folks. One more time, this is Saturday, December 3rd. It goes from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Crown Plaza Ballroom in Warwick, Rhode Island. Many, many writers, forums, readings, and a whole lot more. Of course, if you want to learn more about, about uh, Christine and her work, you go to chriscarinkink.com, and all the information is right there. And Christine, looking forward to seeing you at the Expo. All right, Max. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.